Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I am your host tonight, Matt Filipovitz, and for the first time since we think November, this is a Matt cast, and I am joined by my phenomenal co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, hello. How are you? I'm good. I, I am uh, slowly remembering how this whole thing works. So I talk into this end, and I look at the camera here and uh, pretend I know what I'm talking about. That's that's kind of what we've been doing for the last, like, I don't know, two and a half years, however long we've been doing this podcast. <laughs> I got glasses. Some people are saying it's because I wasn't able to see things in front of me. Uh, I say it's to look smarter when I need them uh, to do the podcast. I don't have them on right now because I, I don't know where they are right now. But we are not here to talk about what's been going on with us the last couple of months because even though it's a dead period, even though we're just in winter workouts right now, there's some news on the Penn State football front and John Scott Jr., after three seasons on the Penn State coaching staff, is off to the Detroit Lions. And Matt, Penn State is all of a sudden in the market for their second new assistant coach of the offseason. Yeah, I think um, I think it's probably fair to say that both um, – I know we talked about Stubblefield on a previous podcast. Well, we – general we. Someone among the, the group of us talked about um, the Stubblefield situation last month. Um, uh, with him being let go and um, the change there. Um, obviously, the John Scott Jr. news uh, on the defensive line kind of came out of the blue as well um, just earlier this week on Monday evening uh, when news broke that he is actually coming my way. He is going to be uh, a Detroit Lion and the defensive line coach for um, the up-and-coming uh, upstart Lions here in town. Um, it's it's kind of... it's. It's kind of weird, I guess, in the sense that, um, you know, that the timing of it all, um, obviously, given that, you know, it's, we're, we're a day or hours away from the calendar flipping to March, that um, obviously it's not a situation where he was forced out or it was kind of made obvious that, you know, he should be looking for something else. If, that, if there was a change that was going to be made there, it was going to be made, um, you know, weeks ago. Um, so you're not kind of going into spring practice here in two weeks with, um, a big unknown at a, a pretty key position, um, especially for Penn State going into the season and in the spring ball specifically this year. Um, but it's really a matter of, um, I think, just as far as the, you know, the, the timing, like I said, um, but also I think it's a huge opportunity for uh, James Franklin. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the candidates here, but um John Scott Jr. I think did a fantastic job with the guys he had. You know the 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 proof is in the guys that have gone to the league off the line. Um, the performance and some of the guys they brought in from the transfer portal, but also um, I think that's kind of one of those positions too where you you look for a guy that's kind of got that that recruiting cachet. Um, Sean Spencer had it, obviously Larry Johnson Senior um, before him had it. That's kind of one of those premier assistant coaching positions and despite the time of the year that this is all going down, I think the fact that um, it presents an interesting opportunity for James Franklin to kind of remake the, the coaching staff a little bit again um, with the, the talent they've already brought in, but also with um, s- some opportunities on the recruiting trail going forward to kind of maybe take that position group to the next step. Yeah, Matt, I like the point you made about the timing of this all, because I feel like the assistant coaching calendar has really kind of shifted you know, even going back to the early signing day period being added, like 
everything is just is just so much different now. Guys are making moves really late in the cycle, especially at these lower level position coaching. Um, I don't even know what the proper word is. Like th- those posts, like coordinators go to head coaching jobs, coordinators move, but these position coaches, I feel like are moving later and later. Like Gaddis left Penn state to go to Alabama, I believe in like mid to late February. So this is kind of similar timing, but Penn state has spring ball in, in two weeks. So they're going to have to find out who the replacement is going to be really quickly. And I know Franklin keeps that Rolodex, but again, we're going to be adding to the staff in the month of March, no matter how you slice it. And that's that's a big surprise. I did not expect Penn State to be in this position, um, especially coming off the successful season they had. But, you know, the NFL is the peak of coaching. Like, it's a much better work-life balance now than college is with NIL and recruiting guys out of the portal. Um, so I can't really blame John Scott Jr. for moving on. But, Matt, before we really turn the page on this, Let's let's kind of remember and review the John Scott Jr. era at Penn State. He came in at a weird time. Sean Spencer made a jump, you know, to go off to the NFL. Kind of a similar move to this now that I'm kind of talking about it in real time here. But he came in three years coaching. 2020 was what it was. He still developed a couple guys into NFL draft picks, including a first round pick and Adafi Owe. I think he did a really good job in 2021. And I think he did a pretty good job in 2022. So, Matt, what what are your overall impressions of of the three year John Scott Jr. tenure? Well, I think you hit on. It. I think he um, you know, developed guys. You know, you look at Odafe Owe, Shaka Tony, um, Arnold Abakete. Um, there's a you know we expect PJ Mustafer to go in the draft this year. Um, I think he did a really good job of. Um, capitalizing on on the guys he had um I hit on a little bit you know he wasn't that dynamic recruiting play, um coach but you look at he you know was able to land Donna Dennis Sutton um probably what you know one of the, arguably the biggest arguably one of the biggest recruits um since James Franklin's been at Penn State and obviously had a huge position of need um they've done really well on the defensive line in the portal um I think that is um a testament to um the work that John Scott did in developing guys in that position, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding with three, you know, three guys already into the draft um, that he coached and um, at least one more this year with Mustafer. Like I said, um, I think the, it, it's funny, you know, through, through all the, the, the three defensive line coaches Penn state's had in my time as a fan, Larry Johnson, um, Sean Spencer, and now John Scott jr., that that quality of play along the defensive line has been kind of the one constant. There's been ebbs and flows, um, you know, some years better than others. That's always been such a strong point. I think the fact that um, even with um, at some positions, a little bit of a, a, a lack of depth or a lack of depth of talent um, in certain years, that group still performed really well. And I think that's obviously a testament to the guys in the room, but I think it's a huge testament to John Scott and, and working with what he had and getting the most out of them. Um, and I think, too, you look at it, he did it with a couple of defensive coordinators. He came in with Brent Pry um, and then transitioned into Manny Diaz's defense this year, and that production just stayed stayed same and maybe took a step forward this year. And I think that, too, also allowed them to up the talent level in the room with guys like uh, Dennis Sutton, uh, some of the guys they brought in through the portal, that sort of thing. Um it's not he's he's not going out and, and landing those elite prospects or elite transfers with the recruiting sales pitch. It's 
with the the proof that he's put together as far yep. as developing guys. He did it at South Carolina. Um, sent a couple guys to the NFL draft there, including a first rounder whose name I'm I'm blanking on at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Um, he's 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 just a really really solid coach. Um, a, a lot of people on Monday evening were kind of comparing and contrasting the reaction from uh, James Franklin to the Taylor Stubblefield situation. It's obviously a huge difference. You know, one guy being let go, um, another guy just um, taking the opportunity to um, move into a role that probably suits him a little bit better. It's funny, there was a little bit of speculation going into the offseason that, that that John Scott might just move on on his own. Um, that kind of died down, obviously, with us almost in the March now. Um, but his oldest son, or I don't know if the oldest son, but a son that um, was graduating from State High this spring, um, I believe it's been reported that um, his wife, who is an accomplished um, professional in her own right, in her field, um, never, really, never moved to State College permanently. Um, so obviously this is a situation too, where I think it's just like you said, the work-life balance, um, his kids getting older, just an opportunity to, to move on. Um, but I, I think the best thing you can say about, about his tenure is he, he, he left the room in a much better place than when he found it. And that's, you know, doesn't, I don't intend that to sound as a slight to Sean Spencer because it was in a great place when he got here, but it has taken another step, I think in the last three years both with on-field production and then and just the yeah, overall talent I, level. I think he's just a ball group. coach. And in college football in 2023, you can't be just a ball coach. And it's fine if guys are just ball coaches. Like, that's a really hard thing to do. And I think that's what made him so attractive to a lot of transfers. Like, you look at Arnold Epichetti and Derek Tangelo. These are two guys who transferred up um, from a lower level of competition. No disrespect to Temple and to Duke. But they came up there four extra years of eligibility to get themselves on the NFL radar, and it worked. Like, Chop's kind of a similar situation. He's a guy who I think is going to go pro after next year. So I think working with that tactician is really beneficial for older guys. I think it kind of made just his personality and just the way he he goes about coaching the game of football just I don't think really played well into elite, high-level defensive line recruiting. Um, and, I, and I'm curious to see the direction they go. And, Matt, let's address the elephant in the room here. Penn State has a lot of really talented alumni and lettermen out there in the coaching ranks. Like even Denton Lynn is a guy who just got the Chargers DC job. I want to make sure I give him a shout out. Uh, that's always really cool when you see. Sorry, sorry, uh, he another got the, blue team uh, UCLA. in LA. UCLA. Um, his his dad it. used that to be it. the coach I knew it was some connection to a blue team out in LA. I apologize to the Lynn family, um, but it, it proves my point. There's a lot of guys out there with Penn State ties who are working their way up the coaching ladder and. Whenever a a opening appears on the Penn State defensive staff, people quickly go to two names. And one's more of a recent name is a younger guy. But the first one is Elijah Robinson, Texas A&M defensive line coach. People threw his name out there for the defensive coordinator job after Brent Pry left. Obviously, that didn't happen. And the other guy is Dion Barnes, who is now an on-field analyst after three years as a grad assistant. Uh, Dion, a Penn State letterman, really, really good edge rusher for the program, spent four years here and was the Big Ten freshman of the year uh, back in 2012. So, Matt, Penn State's next defensive line coach, who are you taking, Elijah Robinson or Dion Barnes or the field? Who's it going to be? I think if if I were a betting man, which okay. I am, I would go with the field. Um Listen, I, I, if you can get Elijah Robinson, you know, sign me right up. But the fact is, he's making uh, close to a million dollars, if not more, a year. 
coaching def- the defensive line at Texas A&M. And each of the two times James Franklin's made a run at him first three years ago when they hired John Scott. Um, and then uh, last year before ultimately hiring Manny Diaz as the defensive coordinator. Um, it was w- pretty well known that James Franklin, that's that was yep. choice A in both those situations. And both times it led to Elijah Robinson getting a really nice pay bump. Um, and I think some additional titles to stay in, in college station. Um, now listen, he's, he is absolutely one of the premier defensive line coaches in the country, um, both as far as on field success and just as importantly in recruiting, you know, he's brought a ton of talent, especially from the Northeast down to Texas. Um, and it has been a big part of the recruiting success that, uh, Jimbo's had down there. Um, but you, you absolutely make the call. Um, you know, you, you want to, yep. you want to at least make him tell absolutely. you no. Um, but I think that's a pretty quick no, because I don't think um, for, for all of the um, improvements that uh, coach Franklin's made as far as the program support financially, um, th- I don't think you're in a position to be able to pay a defensive Can I push back position on that? coach, not even a coordinator. Um, seven I have figures. a question for you. The Pat absolutely. craft of it all. Does that change anything? For me, I think it might. This is all speculation. I don't know Pat Kraft. But he seems like the kind of guy who is aligned with what James Franklin wants this program to be. And if Franklin goes into Pat Kraft's office and says, here's what I need to get the guy I want, I think Kraft's more likely than Sandy Barber was to make that happen. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah, for sure. I I think that the situation is more Mm -hmm. advantageous to that happening now. But I think at the end of the day, I I just I don't see Penn State paying seven figures for a position coach. I just don't think that's where they are as a program. Right. Um, they're going to pay very well, but there are. I mean, Larry Johnson makes makes over a million dollars or close to it. Um, by all accounts, Elijah Robinson makes about that. The number of position coaches in college football in general that are making that amount of money is just you know it's you can kind of what Johnson Hartline imagine is that um, it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, well, Hartline's now yeah, right. the offensive coordinator. Right, um, and, and there's probably more that we don't know about, but it's it's still you know in this world of of outrageous coaching salaries um, beyond just head coaches, it's still a, a, a very rare thing that a guy that's not even a coordinator is making that amount of money. Wh- whoever Penn State gets um, is going to be very well compensated. Um, and I think Dion Barnes is certainly an intriguing option. Like you said, he's been with the program for three years as a GA. Um, that's the maximum allowed in that position. Um, I think it's a huge testament to your point, Matt, that uh, of what Pat Kraft's done in the situation that um, the alignment that Coach Franklin talks a lot about, that they were able to keep him as an analyst. Um, and I think it's too also a testament to um, some of the expected NCAA rule changes that are coming where um, those analyst positions are going to be able to be on-field coaches. Um, that's probably been happening behind the scenes and, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, don't tell anyone. Um, but I think in Barnes case, he's never been anything more than a GA. His, his future is exceedingly bright. Um, and I think his future ultimately is defensive line coach at Penn state sometime in the not too distant future. But I think it's an awful lot to ask anyone, um, regardless of their, their pedigree and their expectations to go from GA kind of off field situation to um, 
I, I'm really intrigued by the idea of Dion Barnes as Penn State's assistant coach. Like, I get it, like, very little on-field experience outside of, like, what I'm sure was done behind the scenes and his time as defensive coordinator of his alma mater in Philadelphia. But, I don't know, coaches are getting younger and younger. I think Dion's a guy who can be really, really successful in this role. Um, my counterpoint to that is uh, it's a window year, and I want Penn State to make make sure they get the most out of what they have right now. So, you know, I'm going to go back and forth on this for a while. I think no matter what happens, Franklin really hasn't whiffed on any hires on the defensive side of the ball, especially like Dex has been great. Tim Banks was great. Uh, Terry's been here forever. Uh, Diaz has been great. John Scott Jr. was great. Like the defensive staff has been really solid for a very long time and I can you name a whiff that they've really had since he's been here Franklin on the defensive side of the ball if anything you know this is you know um you know just at the smallest margin I think Tim Banks was maybe kind of a uh not a letdown but I think the safety play kind of leveled off in comparison to the, the talent level they had there yeah um, but then he went around and got himself hired at um, Tennessee and has done a great job there. So um, I, don't, I wouldn't even call that a whiff. I think it's just, you know, maybe it wasn't the best fit mm-hmm. um, or, you know, it didn't, you know, it wasn't a home run hire. Maybe it was a solid single or maybe, you know, a double up the alley. Um, but and he's, and he certainly recruited his, his butt off. He did a fantastic job recruiting the, the Detroit area um, in Michigan as a whole from where he's originally from. So um and I think just in general, I mean, no coach is perfect. You can no. look at, you know, at, you know, the greatest in the history of the game and they don't hit a home run with every assistant coach hire. But I think James Franklin has done a very, very good job um, in, in filling out his staff. Um, he's not batting a thousand, but he's, he's, you know, he's, he's up there. And I think too, as his resources have, have improved, he's taken advantage of that and up the, the overall talent level on, among the coaching staff. So Matt, while while I trust James Franklin to make decisions on the Penn State coaching staff, there's only one company I trust to produce really delightful collegiate apparel gear. And do you know what that company is? Um, well, since the blog is out of business and we no longer make shirts, I have one very solid guess. And I'm going to say that guess that would be our, is Homefield Apparel. That Yes, our, our good friends over at Homefield. Homefield Apparel is the podcast sponsor for a couple of months now, coming up on a year since our partnership began, and they make some of the best and coolest clothing in the collegiate apparel game. They have t-shirts, they have sweatshirts, they have crewnecks. For our YouTube viewers, I am rocking the Take Me to Happy Valley crewneck right now. It's one of my favorites. They have a 15-piece Penn State collection that dropped uh, a little while ago now at this point, we ended their uh, their big new Saturday campaign with uh, going out on top as the all-time record holder. And our listeners can get 15% off their first order with promo code ROAR, Lions Roar. That's all one word and all caps at checkout. March Madness is coming. I don't know if Penn State's going to make the tournament. I don't want to talk about the Rutgers game because I will start yelling. But you never know. They play Northwestern. If you are in the Chicago area, go to the game and rock your home field apparel gear. And if you have another team that you like, I like Louisville basketball, who also is atrocious. So I can't really speak to that. But I have a UConn gear, and I know UConn's going to make the tourney. All of these random schools that you know and love from the March Madness experience are probably out there on homefieldapparel.com. So again, 
our listeners can get 15% off their first order with promo code ROARLIONSROAR. And thank you to our good friends over at Homefield. I'm sorry that Indiana got killed by Iowa tonight. Matt, do you know it's two weeks away? Yes. Um, college basketball tournament. Well, that, and also we move our clocks forward. With, with our Nittany Lions in it. That's I'm, true. I'm going out on a limb. We gotta, I won't be on the podcast for two more months, so you won't, no one will remember when, when I'm horribly wrong. Side note, I'm looking at, at tickets to the Big Ten tournament because it's, it's right down the road from here at the United Center, and it's absolutely atrocious that the first game, I think, is at like 2.30 on a Wednesday. Like, listen, I love my alma mater, and I love Penn State basketball like a psychopath. I'm not taking a vacation day to watch Penn State play Minnesota at 2.30 on a Wednesday. I'm just not doing it. So, God. I will tell you. So, so you you know, I think, and I probably haven't t- never talked about this in the podcast, I've been going to college basketball tournament games since I was like eight. Um, when I was a kid, my dad, my grandparents, aunts, uncles, like we had a group of like 20 people that would go to the NCAA games, the, whatever the closest site to, to where everyone lived was. Um, but when the big 10 tournament started, we kind of pivoted to that. Cause it was always, you know, it was games every day. It was all in one spot. You knew the teams cause you watched them all year, whether you were a Michigan fan, Ohio state, Penn state, whoever, but I am, I am proud and ashamed to say that uh, when the tournament was in DC, which I believe was in 2017, maybe 18. Oh, I remember that. Um, 17. Penn State played on the Wednesday games, you know, the 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 11, 14, and 12, 13 games. I gladly attended that with literally dozens of our closest <laughs> friends at Verizon Center, whatever it, it was called back then. Um, and I had a blast because it was like five bucks to get in, general admission. You just find the, the best seat you could. Um, Penn State won. I think they beat Nebraska that day. Um, and we had a great time. And then we went out and drank uh, a metric ton of beer afterwards. Nice. All right. Maybe maybe I'll talk some friends into going with me. So I, I just signed up for the Big Ten 10K again. So I'm trying to bully my friends into doing that. So let's do something a lot worse for our health than running and go watch Penn State basketball in person. Um, <laughs> all right. Anyway, <laughs> spring ball. Spring ball is what I was getting at. Spring ball starts in less than well, two yeah, weeks. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the thing that people are actually going to listen to. Um, a big thing, I think, for spring ball is that, first of all, a defensive line coach. Second of all, this is a big, a big spring for this team. Like, you think back to last spring, a lot of it was, oh, my God, do they have any offensive linemen? Now they have depth everywhere. Like, now it's going to be about fostering really healthy competition. Like, the Diaz defense has been installed. It's year three under Yursich. You know, it's, it's, you know, you have to learn with the new coaches that recently just came in, how they're going to handle that, whoever the defensive line coach ends up being. But overall, this is going to be an entire spring ball that's more about improving than it is learning. And Matt, let's, let's just do quick hitters. We're going to do a deep dive. Maybe Nick and I, maybe Bill and I, maybe Craig, who knows? Some of us are going to be on here talking about more deep divey stuff into each of these sides of the ball. But Matt, your 10,000 foot view what does the Penn State offense have to focus on here as we come into spring ball here? For me, it's just depth. And if you're know, longtime listeners of us and readers of, of me going back to whatever website I've, I've ever written from, written, written for, I hate spring football. Do you really? Um, the, the, the best thing that can happen in spring football is nothing newsworthy comes out. Cause you, it's oh. never good when something newsworthy happens during the spring. Um, but I think for a team like Penn this is Dan Chesena um, scholarship erasure. 
Okay, ninety-eight percent of the news that comes out during spring football, if it's major news, is not good. It's an injury. It's if someone got in trouble. It's you know someone's transferring. You know whatever. Um, but I think for the the biggest thing that happens, especially for teams in Penn State's position, where a lot of the parts are already in place, you know who the running backs are. You generally know who your starting offensive line is, and if you don't know who the specific starters are, you know who the two guys are that are going to probably end up splitting snaps, especially to start the season in the fall. The single biggest thing you can do is one, stay healthy um, at all those spots. Um, the other thing is build depth along the offensive line. I think we've talked a lot about, um, and our listeners have certainly read and heard, um, depending on where you know where they're digesting Penn State football news. The offensive line probably can go too deep at every spot, at least. Yes. Um, they've got some guys they can move around to different positions along in there. Um, and so I think it's getting those young guys, um, whether it's a Vigione, um, uh, Landon Tangwall coming back from injury. Hopefully he's able to get some time this fall. Um, Alex Birchmeyer, um, who by all accounts has been super impressive in, in the winter workouts to this point. Getting those guys valuable reps because the Fashanus of the world – Hunter Norzad, you know, the guys that you know are starting that, that have their roles pretty well defined. They're not going to do a whole lot this spring. And that, that holds true across every position where you have returning talent, returning experience. Um, but get those guys that are going to fill in for injuries in the fall that are going to, you know, spell a guy for a series or two during a game this fall, get those guys meaningful reps, um, you know, with, with the new wide receiver coach, Marcus Hagans, get the, get, his group more um, defined. I think that's probably the one spot on offense where there's really some, some rolls up for grabs, um, whether it's Keandre Lambert Smith, um, Harrison Wall, Trey Wallace, um, you know, I can list up names after name after name, um, kind of defining roles among the receivers, but everywhere else it's just stay healthy, get those young guys experience and rest those guys that you're going to lean heavily on this fall. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to disagree. I love spring ball, but I do I do generally agree in that if you hear any news, it's probably nothing important or it's bad news. So that's a totally fair point. Um, one thing for me on the offense I want to see, you know, just overall, overall is just receivers getting comfortable. Like Aller, we will address maybe the situation if we have to. If not, we will not acknowledge it. Um, both of you has to learn the offense better. The receivers have to get better. Um, the offensive line, I think, can mostly their biggest role could be getting the defensive line just more looks and better reps uh, because they have to get ready that that defensive front uh, but overall out of this offense I just want to see them stay healthy and I want to see the receivers uh, start to kind of figure out who's going to be those top five guys and there might only be four spots amongst the guys that are currently on campus with with Dante Sipa surely factoring in uh, and then Matt is it the same general sentiment for the defense or do you think you can take a little bit more away from a good spring on the defensive side of the ball. I think there's more uncertainty on defense. Mm -hmm. um, I think you've got some, some questions that need to be answered at safety. There isn't really um, the guy there. You know, there's a bunch of guys who have played, but you've got, um, um, I'm going to blank on names. You've got KJ Winston. You've got, um, throw some names at me here. Zaki Wheatley, Zaki Wheatley, Wheatley, Jalen Reed. Zaki Wheatley, Jalen Reed. Keaton um, Ellis. Keaton Ellis, that's the name I was trying to remember, and I was nowhere near that for the record. <laughs> uh, I, I, like I said at the, at the top, I am horribly out of practice. Um, I've not done this for a while. You just be impressed. I'm speaking to the right end of the mic here. Um, but you've you know you've got those guys that are are fighting for for playing time there. 
Um, I think cornerback's pretty well settled. Um, Storm Duck, um, you know, kind of how the guy the, that works out with the rotation there and who lines up lining up where. I think they're pretty well, pretty comfortable at linebacker. Um, you know, Elsden and Kobe King. I think you want those guys to continue to to battle out for that spot. Um, you know, a guy like Tony Rojas, who um, is another one of those freshmen that's getting really high high reviews. He's going to um, play. I, I said it back then. By, by all accounts, it seems like year. that's the case now. He is going to um, play Whether it's fall. just special teams, but um, he's in a factor in somewhere on the field. Um, but, but getting a guy like him who has got a, a super bright future, getting him up to speed. Um, and the same thing on the defensive line. You've got a big piece to, to replace in, in P.J. Mustafer. Trying to figure out how those pieces fit together. I don't think no one's winning a job this spring, really anywhere on the field in all likelihood. But you're trying to lay the groundwork, you know, figure out what you've got, get these guys in pads um, in the freshman's case for the first time at the college level um, and, and kind of figure out what you've got, what guys have the steps guys have taken um, over the last couple months in the winter conditioning program. Um, and not to belabor the point, get out healthy, um, especially with those key guys. Yeah. I, I, defensively for me, I always want to see, like I said earlier, I think the front seven can really gain a lot from this spring. I think that there's enough depth, you know, maybe it's not exactly proven depth, especially at defensive tackle, but you have, by my count, I want to say it's eight guys, seven guys on campus currently on scholarship in that defensive tackle room. You can get a lot of reps and you can have a lot of contact and guys can probably still make it out of spring healthy, you know, treating this similar to how you treat like the month of September in the season. Like you're still hitting those. It's not nearly as much as it used to be and, and rightfully so, but you can still build up some experience, build up some toughness in these moments. And that's really what I want to see. And it's hard for me to really speak on this until we know who the defensive line coach is going to be. Uh, so I'll, I'll kind of put this on the back burner until we come back to it in a couple of days and, and do our, you know, position by position previews for spring. But I think that this defensive line, especially can, if you're gonna if you're gonna avoid getting blown out by a Michigan esque team in 2023, it starts with a really strong spring. You think that's fair to say? Yeah, and I, like I said, I think that I, there's there's more work to be done on the defensive side of the ball, um, and I think especially like you said, Matt, at defensive line, where you've got a lot of pieces that you probably like, but you're trying to figure out how they all fit together because the dynamics going to be so different without Mustafer in there. Um, he just did so much that we saw, but I think there was so much, you know, unheralded work that he did, you know, taking on double teams, eating space, freeing up linebackers, his, his teammates along the line to make plays. I think figuring out what that dynamic is among those handful of guys they've got at tackle and at end real too. How do the, how do these parts fit together? You know, what is our, our run stopping package starting to look like who are the guys that factor in there? What is our third, you know, our, our passing situation? What does our, our personnel look like up front for that? Um, you know, who's, who's taken those steps. I think of a guy like Smith Vilbert um, who missed last year for unspecified reasons. Um, I think it's a huge spring for him. Um, assuming no he's here when, when the dust settles um, after, after spring ball, um, we saw flashes of it in the Outback bowl um, over a year ago now. Um, but I think this is a, a huge, huge spring for him, especially if he ends, if he ultimately stays at Penn State to work his way back into that rotation. So I think if there's if there's one spot other than quarterback, which we're all going to be watching closely, even though we all you know kind of assume it's through Aller, you know, it's the defensive line. I think is probably the one spot on the field where and safety that there are some 
the most significant questions that the team faces at this point. And you start getting those answers in the spring. And, and I know I said, I hate spring football, um, but it's in, it's certainly important for the program and the team and the coaches and, and, and those guys internally as fans. Um, you know, we, we cling to every morsel that we can get, obviously. And, you know, we're, we're probably not going to know a whole lot more ourselves out of this spring, but I think James Franklin and his coaching staff are going to know a heck of a lot more, um, you know, in about six weeks from now. Are you going to blue white? I will not. Cause as I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but if not uh, breaking news in roar lions, roar world, uh, my wife and I are expecting our first child uh, about four weeks after blue white. So we are we are not leaving the Detroit metro area until um, certainly not that close to to the due date. That's that's totally fair. That's totally totally understandable. I think I'm gonna go. I haven't been back to state college uh, since 2019, uh, which is the longest stretch of my life, um, and I don't have any major life announcements. But I'd like to show my friends my name on the wall uh, at cafe. So maybe maybe that's my pride and joy. You can show them your glasses. Uh, I could show them my glasses. That is true. Um, although I will say, I, I did wear them um, to go pick up. I think I left a sweatshirt at my sister's apartment, and I went to go pick them up, and it was snowing. And I had a hat and my new glasses on and, like, a scarf covering my mouth because it was freezing. And my sister ran away from me because she didn't recognize me with my glasses and thought <laughs> I was trying to rob her, uh, which is objectively hilarious, uh, but it was not that funny. Uh, when I had to shout at her and then chase her down the street to prove that I was not indeed coming to uh, steal from her. Um, so that was fun. Uh, and then one more thing before before we get out of here uh, that I want to talk about for spring ball leadership. This is a really important time to develop leadership. I do think that that's been a big talking point. I think for the staff, every chance they've had a mic put in front of their face, they've mentioned that. So I do think it's a good chance to develop some leaders. I'm sure they're already, you know, forming that kind of, um, I don't dynamic right now during winter workouts, but you can really, you can really establish yourself as a leader here in, here in spring. Ball. That, and you, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause you, you know, I've been harping on this, you know, behind the scenes, if you will, um, for, for, you know, at least a month now, you've been like the most said, vocal every time. of all of our friends, like everyone in our, in our little chat about this leadership, um, void that we think we have. You've been the most vocal about yeah, it. I think. I, I don't think it's a void. I just think, Penn State was in such a unique situation last year with the, with Sean Clifford, PJ Mustafer, and John Sutherland as guys that had been captains for three or four years each. Um, I think that is such a as fans the kind of thing you don't see a whole lot of because um, the, the the importance of guys like that that have that kind of leadership quality is it's happens right now. You know when we're not looking, it happens over the summer when you know they're arranging seven on seven and, and summer conditioning things and, and team building things and things like that. Um, I, I don't, when I say that it's a, it's a big question. And I think it's something that as fans, we should probably be more in tune with, even if it's not the kind of thing that you readily see. I think it's not to say that there are, there is no leadership on this team. I think there's, I'm sure there's great leadership, but I think there's, like I said, Penn State was in such a unique situation last year with three, three or four year captains just with that. It's seen everything gone through everything. There wasn't a single thing that could happen 52 weeks out of the year that they hadn't been through before as a college football player. And you don't just replace that offhand with, with the next guy up. Um, and I think that's a big part of why Franklin and the staff 
and the guys that fought that are really in tune with the team mention it so frequently because that's such a big gap to fill from the experience that you that you lost in those three guys especially to guys that have been through a lot but now have to take on a bigger role and fill you know a lot of things that probably just kind of happened on their own because those guys um just kind of knew how things worked and and you know the right thing to say at the right time and um managing personalities and all those things yeah i think when you're there six years or, or five years in Mustafer's case, you kind of just naturally take that over. And when you're on those, you know, 2017 teams, 2019 teams, you know what it takes to win. And you saw what 20 and 21 were. I think it was easy to to want to go back to what you were earlier in your career. Um, and I do think that that's fair that they don't really have anybody on this current roster who went through those. You had a couple guys left over from 2019, but overall, it, this is a whole new cast of characters from when Penn State had their last sustained run of like let's call it three years of 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 good success so it'll be interesting to watch and Penn State's always working working towards the future and they got to commit today commit number three of the 2024 recruiting class and it's a linebacker Matt from your neck of the woods Kari Jackson from West Bloomfield High in Michigan um, home of former Penn Stater Lance Dixon who is now going to be returning to Beaver Stadium uh, as a West Virginia Mountaineer in 2023 and Matt, this is going to be a busy month for recruiting. March always is with, you know, the dead period now formally ending coming up here in the next couple of days or a couple hours, maybe even. Where do you think this is headed? Do you think that we're going to be on a pretty good run now of uh, a lot of commits in a very short amount of time? I, th- I think you'll see a few guys. Um, you'll start having guys on campus um, really as soon as they can. They always, you know, make a point of getting guys um, especially key guys in for spring practices um, where it's a little bit more of a, a personal touch um, where they're not, you know, on campus with 50 other guys and the, the staff's trying to spread their time among, among multiple guys. Um, I will be perfectly honest. I haven't dived, dived into dove into, I haven't researched the, the 24 class a whole lot. Um, I, I, it's a good like PA said, class. There's like 11 dudes who are blue chip prospects in the state of Pennsylvania. And like, even going back and, like three years, there were maybe like four, like PA has restacked itself. Well, which we, which is always nice to see. And it's, it's from what, from what I have read and kind of in a general sense, it's a very good class regionally, um, which always bodes well for Penn state. Um, you know, just, you know, they have done a great job expanding their recruiting footprint, you know, especially in Florida with, uh, with ciders connections down there. Um, but it, Penn State is still a program that's going to, you know, butter its bread in the recruiting world within that 300-mile radius, 500-mile radius of State College that James Franklin talks about a lot. But regionally, it is a good class, like you said, Matt. In, in Pennsylvania, I know it's a really good class. Um, they already – this is actually their second linebacker. They have uh, Anthony Specka from Central Catholic in Pittsburgh, uh, another linebacker who committed uh, about a month ago now, I believe it is. Um, and he joins another Pennsylvania kid, Cooper Cousins, who's a um, – really highly sought after probably the top line uh, offensive lineman in the state. If not him, it's uh, Kevin Haywood, um, who I believe is from the, the Philly area. Yep. Um, so it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I, I don't think we're going to have, you know, a run of March commits. Um, what you're going to see is when official visits can start happening, which I believe is in April, um, the spring of official visit window. Um, I think Penn State's done a really good job adjusting to that. Um, and I think we've been reminded, um, I harped on this a whole lot a couple years ago, how critically important the on-campus aspect is for Penn State. Um, 
I don't think it's, you know, it's hopefully that, that, that gap, if you will, of needing to get those kids on campus to understand what Penn state and happy Valley and everything is all about has shrunk a little bit with the, the rise in stature and the success on the field, but you still have a ton of kids. I think that don't really, you know, especially if you're not from the area, um, don't really know a whole lot about, you know, what Penn state has. And you, especially now with the improvements in the facilities, um, the investment that's been made in the program overall, getting kids up there and seeing, Oh, you know what state college Penn state has a lot of those things that Michigan has that Ohio state has that I, that I see when I go down South to some of these sec programs, you know, they're, they're supporting their program in much the same way that some of these other places I've seen have. And I didn't realize that. Um, and, and you and I, Matt both know, um, having in, attended school there, um, you get into state college and, you know, a lot of us just get that, that feeling that this is a, a just a special place to be. And, and that, you know, it's the same thing happens to, to high school football players. It happens to, you know, high school students like you and I, when we took our visits there where you, you fall in love with a place. Um, but it's, it's going to be fascinating to see as this evolving NIL world um, continues to, to kind of settle itself in and, and figure out what, what that's ultimately going to look like. Um, and kind of what, what these timelines start to look like, like I said, with spring foot, spring visits now changes the dynamic. You have a lot of kids that, um, take those visits and then make the decision over the summer. Um, I think for the class, you're going to see a lot of what Penn state's always done. I think by the time you get to August and certainly the start of next season, the class is going to be, you know, 80% fuller more because they want to have, you know, those guys by the end of summer, that time they, they go back to their high school teams they've made that decision. And that's, that's part for the course for a lot of these places. There'll be a handful of guys that wait longer um, because they know those, those spots are going to be. There always is. Um, yeah. But um, no, I, I think it's, it's shaping up to be a really fascinating class. Um, like I said, because of the talent in, in the area, um, but also you have, you're going to have you know two new assistant coaches. And I think a guy like uh, Marcus Hagan's on the uh, wide receiver side, um, the, the story on him when he was hired is just, you know, a great, great guy, you know, establishes relationships really well. Um, how that translates to you know, walking into a recruit's home or his high school with Penn State on his jacket instead of Virginia. Just it's a bigger brand. It's, you know, it resonates more in the college football world. And then whatever the direction they end up going at defensive line, um, there are a, a bunch of really talented defensive line prospects um, in the area that are high on Penn State. And, um, Obviously, that'll be that hire will be really key for a lot of those guys. Um, but like we were talking about earlier, having Dion Barnes on staff, even if he's not, you know, the guy that's out on the road recruiting because that position, you know, can only recruit on campus. Obviously, um, that continuity I think will be be really helpful with whoever that on the recruiting side with whoever that guy is that ultimately comes in and fills that that spot on the staff. And I think who fills that spot on the staff is where we'll leave it because knowing us, we will hit stop and Penn state will announce the new defensive line coach, but that is the question and a conversation for our next episode. Matt, any final thoughts here to send our listeners off with? No, I, I apologize for every single mistake that I made because I have not done this for so long, but uh, good to get back into the swing of things a little bit. And um, hopefully as we go through spring practice and, you know, the inevitable recruiting news that we have over the next few months, um, certainly before I become a father in here in 10 weeks or so, um, you know, I certainly, uh, expect to be back and talking Penn state a little bit more here after my, my little sabbatical. We all have to get our reps up and that is what spring ball is for. 
Thank you so much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. Thank you, as always, to our sponsor, Home Field Apparel. Again, that's 15% off your first order with promo code Roar Lions Roar. All caps, all one word at checkout. Here, Be sure to leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice and follow us over on Twitter at RLR Blog. We will be back in a couple of days, maybe about a week, to do a deeper dive on Penn State's offense and defense ahead of spring ball. But until then, for my co-host, Matt DeBear, I am Matt Flipovitz. Take care, everyone. Go State.